0: has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Temporal Trek Podcast. This is Season 3, Episode 8, and we are on Season 1, Episode 6. That is our chrono date, as I seem to be using on Twitter at the moment. Uh, we are in the Andorian Incident, a very important episode. Uh, as I know, some of it will actually feature later on in this season, but we don't know that yet. Uh, but I am not going to be doing a solo show for this one because it is that important. I am going to be joined by a very special guest. You know him. You love him. He is my co-host, my pod bro from another mother, pod brother from another. Yeah, yeah, that works. I'm
1: doing um, well, thanks, Dan. Uh, thanks it for it is me back Paul on. Wright um, from
0: the Cosmopolitan podcast. Like How are you, Paul?
1: More than a few weeks since we lasted one of these, so uh, all good. And I'm looking forward to this one because it's uh, it is one of my favourites. So yeah, all good. It does, yeah.
0: Absolutely, yeah, it is a fantastic one. Um, We're going to get on straight away uh, because the listeners know you very, very well, um, so they know where to find you. But we'll come back to that at the end of the episode where we'll get you to plug the Cosmic Pizza and anything else you want to plug as well. Um, We'll crack on with the episode straight away and we begin at zero minutes and zero seconds. Uh, We come into a monastery. We see these uh, uh, monks uh, going around uh, in their robes for a minute there when you start seeing the Vulcaneers appear I was starting to think a hey, minute, is this Cybok? Is this Star Trek 5? Are we gonna uh, go and find God uh, in the, in the centre of the galaxy? Oh no! No it's fine there's someone banging on the door and it's a group of four Antenna blue skinned aliens and it is the Andorians and they look like they're the bad guys um, and it's one very important Andorian indeed we don't learn his name at this point but it is a face we do recognise it is a face that is strewn across the galaxy in fact lots of different races have this face and it is of course jeffrey coombs um on this opener on the teaser opener paul any thoughts on this opening part of the episode
1: well this is the first time we see the the andorians i would say properly in star trek uh, in any in any uh, shape or form and they look amazing they've really done the uh, the prosthetics really well the antenna are moving by themselves and Yeah, it's it it got me excited uh, the first time because I've read a few books about uh, Star Trek books and uh, some of them about the Andorians. So I knew a little bit more about them than you get in the TV series, which is very little. It was obviously only the original series where you really see them. and I was looking forward to, to finding out more about them. This is a, this is a new race. That, although we we've heard about them, we know about them a little bit. We this is the first time we're going to find out a lot about them and who they are and and, and you know, a bit of meat on the bone. It's the first new race that we've had in a um, in a Star Trek episode for a long time. Absolutely, yeah,
0: and from that very f- uh, you know few seconds that you see them in this opening teaser, there is something different. you know up till now, had you been watching TOS or any of the other episodes, the antenna are still. They are just glued on bits of whatever they are, foam or whatever onto an actor's forehead. On here on this episode, the antenna are moving they almost seem to be uh moving to the mood of whatever that andorian is doing at the time which again is something that we trek fans hadn't seen up to this point um uh, we've never seen an andorian in this podcast uh from the big bang all the way till now uh, so this is yes the first time we're seeing an andorian but to star trek fans we're seeing these weird antenna that can seem to react to the surroundings around them and it It really stands out. It really is striking to see that difference and that the makeup had just gone one further. Um, And and I do remember seeing all the the documentaries that came out, you know, the little teasers, and they were showing the guy who's off camera uh, uh, activating the antenna with a little control device and a little um, handheld controller. Uh, And it was it was fun to see that they were going to put this kind of effort into uh, an establishing race for Star Trek
1: um, yeah I mean uh, only the fact that it was uh, as you say Jeffrey Coombs um, d- sort of slightly recognisable because you look at him and think where have I seen this face before <laughs> and, and and it's just the face nothing. You know, none of the other bits none of the ears or anything like that it's just the face and I'm thinking nah I've seen this face before you look him up and you suddenly realise oh wait a minute yes you know, DS9 and, and, and then you look further and find out he's been in everything but <laughs> a lot of the times most not really recognisable, but certainly, um, as as we know him from Deep Space Nine as Wayoon, um, very recognisable then. And that made me excited because he is re- I think he's really a, a great actor, mm. um, especially as you know, when you put prosthetics on him. He, he, he's he got that face that, and the ability to, to show emotion uh, through all of this makeup and stuff that he has on. So, yeah, I was really excited when I, when I realised it was him the first time.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, it's not outside the realm of possibility i've seen it on twitter there have been campaigns to try and get jeffrey coombs back into star trek in some way in some guest starring role um but uh you know it's not outside the realm of possibility now that we've got strange new worlds coming that they could write in that this is you know shran comes back or he's an aged or an older shran or maybe a descendant of shran uh will come back because of the time frame because where this episode is set it's not impossible that we might never see him in the, the franchise again. Um, so I really hope we do get to see him. And it's just that voice. It's that calm, everything's so fine, uh, voice. Even when he's Shran, there's like these calm moments where he's talking about, uh, Archer and the pink skins, uh, and everything. Um, uh, on the pink skins, uh, we, we get this later in the episode, but I think we might, might as well just, uh, discuss it as we are here. Uh, the idea of bringing in uh, racial slurs uh, and that pink skin became something for enterprise um any thoughts on that it was an interesting uh, thing I, I don't know whether much was made about it at the time but certainly uh,
1: now when you hear it you think well is that is that acceptable or and then as you get later on into the episode does does um as is, as is always mentioned in, in there, when, when any Vulcan enters the room, the ears are mentioned. Mm. And you're thinking, well, is is that just you know really just racial stuff and and species stuff? Because it's easy to to mock those people that are different and and you know, and to call somebody a pink skin is obviously um, it, it's a sort of nod to obviously the, the problems we have with, you know, with black people at the moment. Big old. Black and do you call them colored and you know you can't call them coloured. you can't call them. and it, it, it's the same thing it's the same issues we have now um that are being talked about in Star Trek but for, fortunately in some ways they have a go with the white man for a start mm,
0: they, have, yeah. they have
1: a go with the pink skin um <laughs> although I, I was thinking it'd be interesting if there was actually um a black person in that room as an actor mm. and he said that said so, well what who, who I, which, which person are you actually talking to here? It's, uh, it's, yeah, it, it was a bit. It, it actually made me think more about the fact that there was a lack of diversity in that room. Mm. <laughs> um, everybody. I mean, all, all of the um, uh, the Andorians were blueed up. Yeah, <laughs> it's all blue face. <laughs>
0: yeah and what if we you know what if in your timeline uh you meet uh an alien and you know you make first contact with blues uh who see this episode and take offense you know this is going to be a big problem down the road um you know uh are we appropriating blue culture who knows Um, there is a big problem there. Uh, but no, you know, we're being tongue in cheek here, listeners. We are not trying to be racist at all, but it's, it's a, it's a valid concern because it's something that they seem to notice that, uh, the Andorians seem to accept that blue skin is, um, is everybody on their planet. Um, we might later find out that that's not necessarily the case. Um, and we know from seeing other Star Trek that there are sort of slightly green tinted, uh, Andorians as well. Um, in other shows but um it's interesting that he is identifying based on skin uh not necessarily the look you know he could uh i don't know what you could call it uh, antenna if there's some way of shortening that you know you don't have antennas um smooth Smooth heads exactly smooth head there we go um and uh you know it's interesting that he goes straight to skin so there we go right Moving on, we're going to go straight from, uh, out of the credit sequence, um, we start to get, uh, uh, which I think it should be a new recurring segment is, uh, the workplace bullying segment, uh, for this show. <laughs> um, for the last couple of episodes, I've done some solo shows and it just seems to be constant workplace bullying of Topol. Uh, any chance that Archer and Trip seems to get. I'm not going to place this squarely on Trip. So it's not going to be a trade thing. It's not going to be the recurring segment there. Um, But uh, this particular time, they they seek uh, a chance to really rub it in and say, right, we're going to mess around with your culture and we're going to go and visit some monks and we're not going to uh, be uh, saying please or thank you. We just want to go and see them because it's worth the trip. Um, You know, to say nothing that maybe these uh, monks in Pejem who are going through a big um, colon or ceremony Uh, would want to see anyone Uh, but no they're going to bluster in anyway and they're going to do it which seems to be the theme so far for the past couple episodes as well any thoughts on the idea that these the Vulcan star star charts aren't exactly accurate uh does that make sense that the Vulcans would miss something as big as a proto star uh and also the workplace bullying going on
1: well to start with the um uh, the, the maps I think what what um what seems to me anyway is that the Vulcans have given uh, the Enterprise a set of old maps. Mm -hmm. They're not going to give them the brand new up-to-date ones with everything on it, because A, there's stuff on there that they may not want the the pink skins to see. Um, So you give them the the old maps that have got a few bits and pieces missing. Um, uh, Also... There is a maybe. Maybe if I'm if I'm a little bit more generous, we could say that they give them the old maps with with things missing, so that they can actually explore and do things, mm, um, and find things for themselves. Um, which I thought was the case, but then I thought, well, no, more than likely the Vulcans have just given them some old, out-of-date star charts, just to get them like a beginner's guide type thing, get you on your way until you can afford some new ones. Um, a
0: beginner's guide to the galaxy. I like exactly, it. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's a like a book yeah it does yeah. yeah don't panic yeah so the um
1: the the part about the, the workplace bullying it's not just um trip and archer having a go at topol it it's flocks as well we we see them uh with topol and flocks having a meal uh, together in the in, the, in the, um in the it's uh, called it a canteen um it, 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 and that they're both uh, eating away there and next minute Phlox flocks leans over and Pinches a piece of celery celery from (laughs) to Paul's plate, and starts munching away on it with great gusto, and has food flying everywhere. And I'm thinking, she's going to absolutely hate that. I mean, that is just (laughs) a bad manners. But B, he's spitting food out all over the place, Um, and she's really, and you can see on her face, she's sort of like hiding the disgust. A lot better than she would have been a human, I think. I think she's a bit more used to an alien maybe doing that. And it's then that sort of, uh, Phlox says, Oh, oh, do you mind? You know, <laughs> it's like it's all too, too late, you've already got it, <laughs> munching away on it. So, but that's a bit of sort of bullying, you know, I'll just, I'll just pinch your food for absolutely no reason. But it, it's a Phlox thing, it, um, True. it's a Denoblian thing, so, uh,
0: yeah. And it perfectly fits in previous episodes where he was asking, to you know, um, you know do you think those two crew members who are going to go and mate uh, would mind me watching? Um, so it's not out of the realm of possibility for his character to lean over and take food, uh, despite, you know, that being a, a big no-no, uh, at least in human culture. Um but, uh yeah, I did think of that as I was watching through this episode. Is was like, I know Paul will like this ep- this part of the episode because it's yet another uh, time where they're sitting down to a meal and someone is being uncouth. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> it's
1: typical American uh, TV, isn't it? Um, <laughs> So, so so do you think I should go uh, with with these people? Yes, I think. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Finish your mouthful first, man, before you speak. And what is it with Americans? They have to, they have to, if there's an eating scene, they have to eat and talk at the same time. What is that? That's just wrong. Absolutely wrong.
0: I'm gonna. I think I should start another segment. Uh, uh, If anyone wants to make a little segment intro for me, because I'm useless at them. Uh, But uh, I don't know. Paul's uh, polite etiquette um, uh, segment. Um, You know, something about keep your mouth shut. Um, I don't know. Uh, But yeah, it 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 stuck in my mind as uh, as we're watching this episode. Um, but I do like the scene overall when he is sat there and he's, he's reminding her, he's sort of asking her to, to humour him and, uh, and talk about idic, uh, talk about the infinite diversity and infinite combinations, uh, and how that is, uh, in, in line in sync with what the humans are trying to do as well they are trying to open themselves to diversity and change and uh and seeing all these different uh assets um in in the universe and parts or chances to explore and how it's not so different a different uh a way of living and it's a a nice throughput for all the episodes that i've seen so far for episode or season one where flocks is helping another character it might be their particular episode say it's a hoshi episode or a trip episode and it's flocks who seems to come to the rescue or at least change how the episode is going to go um in hoshi fight or flight he's helping hoshi get through her her hang-ups of being afraid Uh, In Archer, in Strange New World and Terra Nova, he was the one who provided all the the medical knowledge and the know-how to actually change the situation, to give Archer options. He helped him out. Uh, In Trip. In Unexpected, of course, it being the Doctor, um, he is going to be the one who's going to help trip through the, the pregnancy. Uh, and now, this week, it's uh, Phlox's turn to help to Paul. And I think it's another reason why uh, the fans certainly love Phlox from this episode, is that it's another uh, example of how he will help a character in every episode.
1: Absolutely right, yeah. He's a great character. I absolutely love him. Uh, he's, he's my favourite Enterprise um, character. Uh, he's been around. He doesn't seem to be phased by much. He, he's seen it all before, and, and you know his <laughs> unorthodox way of treating people. Um, but he's always right there with the with the right words, the, the right things to say, um, even if they don't seem appropriate at the time. It's always you know it's always good advice. Um, he's the go to guy, and I, I I like him for that. Absolutely.
0: And speaking of the go to guy. Uh, when we go on to the scene um, they're going to visit the monastery and it's going ahead. Depol has researched all of the protocol. It's another topole briefing as well. Again this is another thing that from all these episodes that I've noticed is that Paul is delivering a briefing and yet again Archer and topole uh, Archer and trip sorry are not listening. Uh, they, um, they are taking it in this time they're not uh straight away coming in with a little dig uh but uh you know archer is the one who leans back and says i thought starfleet training was was difficult and it's almost like trip and archer swapped this episode um that uh, it was archer who seemed to be giving her a harder time than trip so I, i don't think i'm going to be dinging trip too much in this episode um but he he does sort of undercut what she's trying to say she's saying this is a very important thing that we need to do you need to obey all the different rules but why is it just archer and trip um given what we've said about flocks and how eager he is to help people out and have an opinion and to experience new things why isn't he going uh what about hoshi Uh, It would be an ideal time for her to brush up on more uh, Vulcan culture so that she could understand the Vulcan language even more. Um, It it seemed odd that it was just two crew members. And as we mentioned, you know, what if there was someone of uh, a different race, different ethnicity, um, who was in the away team so that the pink skin comment might not have happened? What if Travis had gone down? What if any crew member who is not white Caucasian um, had gone down there? Do you think it seemed odd that it was only two other members of the crew? No, I think it was
1: right that there was only two. Uh, you could argue over which two it should have been, but certainly, um, Topal was a bit nervous about taking too many people down there, especially with it being the you know the colonel um, uh, ceremony. Um, so, or the time of uh, colonel. So it was, it was. Uh, I think the right amount of people. Uh, you would certainly take the captain. Um, as he was the person who A, decided they wanted to go and see it in the first place, and she was obviously there trying to make sure that he he observed all of the the right um, etiquette and things. Um, yeah. After that, you could you, you wouldn't really want to take your security chief because it's the Vulcans, and that would probably give the wrong idea. Um, so I suppose your your, um, your engineer would be the next one, or uh, yeah. I suppose it may, it does make sort of sense to that that. Trio would be the, uh, the, th- the three to
0: take. Hmm. Yeah, I suppose to avoid embarrassment, you know, uh, there's fewer chances for something to go wrong. Unfortunately, something will go wrong. Um, because as they enter, um, even Topol starts to notice that things are a little bit off as they go down to the monastery. Things are oddly perched, as she says, and she's pointing out all the broken uh, crockery and, and things like this. And well, tri- well, she doesn't point out
1: the broken crockery. It, 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 obviously, Archie looks around and goes, you yeah, know, this doesn't look right. And she's going, yes, that. that- statue over there seems to be purchased oddly yeah, the whole place is in disarray there's broken crockery everywhere there's you know the shelves disarray no no she notices that somebody has knocked over that, that, that <laughs> little idol in the corner <laughs>
0: You know, the, the Vulcans have different priorities, as we found out, um, you know, ages and ages ago when we were watching Carbon Creek. You know, it's it's all about, you know, watching TV. It's all about getting beers and it's atomic bombs. You know, they have a very strange set of priorities. They go straight to different things, things we wouldn't necessarily notice. Uh, so maybe that's it. Maybe a, a wonky statue is, is far more... um uh weird to them than the broken crockery. Mm. Um I I mean if you're ever in my kitchen I'm always dropping things all the time so maybe you know uh, there's a very klutzy Vulcan uh, uh who's just going around uh, yeah uh, Tarquin the Vulcan uh to Arquin obviously <laughs> as it's spelled out. Um he just keeps on dropping all the bowls, Yeah, know. Uh-huh. it it ah uh, it's to hitch. oh to hitch. Yes, he's going around, yes. Sir. Sorry. Broke, <laughs> broke it again. hitch, get out of here. Um <laughs> Um speaking on uh before we come to uh the andorians coming up um vulcans with superstitious sides you know there's a lot of superstition there's a lot of ceremony going on in all of this now we've seen vulcans throughout star trek who have a spiritual side who have uh ceremonies to try and um, purge themselves of emotion but there seems to be a lot of spirituality or at least superstition in all of the, the ceremonies that Topol is talking about, like, take the the Jakar stone and, you know, uh, accept it gladly and, and all these sort of things. Things that wouldn't have anything to do with purging emotions. They seem to be tacked on superstitions. Uh, and even Tripp points it out when he's talking about the Blani stone and the Buddha when they're trying to distract uh, before they uh, they take on the Andorian. Do you think it's odd that Vulcans would have superstition?
1: They're a they're a very strange race aren't they? There is a lot of uh, a lot of ceremonies and a lot of you say superstition I don't know if that's the right word but certainly there is a lot of things they have to adhere to and, and a lot of rites hmm. that they have to uh, uh, to get through and do you know do to do certain things. Um, it just makes them uh, more interesting I think. They are more sort of monastic in their uh, a- approach to the you know, to, to life. You know, to, they're all obviously you know, in a monastery. We're obviously going to be talking about that, but even outside of that, when, when in, the, in the original series, when they go to um, um, to Pow and they mm. they meet her, and there's a lot of that. You know, there's rituals in that where they say you have to fight this person in order to gain the woman, and etc. etcetera. Et cetera. She's got lots of land and all this type of thing. So the, there is a lot of um, of uh, you know of rights that they have to adhere to and, and things. Wouldn't necessarily say superstition. I think that's a different. It's a different thing. Hmm. Uh, it certainly doesn't bother them when they go groundbreaking even more stuff later on and <laughs> shooting at things. So. Oh, that's 20 years bad luck for shooting that butter. Oh, no.
0: <laughs> the Surak statue. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> um, uh, I did like the the way that Archer plays it, as he's walking around the room and he's trying to, he's beefing up this bravado. It's like, oh, you know, the last time I went to a monastery was in Tibet. And he's playing this story as he's walking around trying to figure out what's going on. And he obviously notices the reflection of a, an, an Andorian in a pot and he realizes there's a problem. And then he goes to sort of gently bang his chest to trip as like a signal. Now, we've never seen that. Now, if we're watching all these episodes in order, as this podcast is doing, we've never seen where that comes from. Uh, and it it was one thing that I would love to know. What was the thinking behind that? Did the actors sit down and say, oh, you know, uh, let's work out a little backstory for this, that this was their little signal? Or was it just written into the script? Was there something that they worked on? But the idea that just a chest bang is an indication between Archer and Trip that something's wrong, we need to do something. Um, How that translates to the very precise action of, let's bundle through a movable wall and take down someone who's hiding behind it. I don't know how that all gets relayed with one tiny little gesture, but um, it seemed to work.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're all friends. They they must have these sort of uh, signals and things. I couldn't work out whether he was banging his chest or whether he was like pointing and sort of just happened to bang his chest at the same time. But it, it, was, it was certainly a signal to, to Tripp to sort of say, come over here and help me with this wall.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't do sort of like a lever arch with his hands like to look like a laptop. So that uh, it was like uh, a first flight where it's like, you know, you know, the lifetime when you had a laptop, you sorted all of our problems out. I need your help again. Just come over here. Uh, that would have made more sense. Just thinking, it, you know, this is what the <laughs> Temple Trek is for, is all about.
1: It, it would have been good if you, it sort of said, you know, like sort of done a bit, a bit of a, you know, a sort of a, um, a sly signal to sort of say, look, you know, there's a guy behind me. There's a guy behind me. And Trip's going, what do you mean, Captain? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, no, I just... Um, just here i've got an an itch on my knee down here here (laughs) by this wall what this wall what's wrong with this wall (laughs) no 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 get over there and knock this wall down
0: an itch captain i thought that was to hitch he was just breaking the pottery just over there Uh, yeah but uh, yes yeah it makes perfect sense it would have been great if this was uh, something that goes through all the episodes and maybe it is maybe I've completely forgotten that there is this little hand signal uh, however every points and that it was something that they always use every single time Um, uh, which would certainly be helpful because this is the only second time it's happened so far but probably will be a more recurring segment our Archer Abductions
1: my name is Jonathan Archer
0: Answer the question! This is Archer abduction number two, and it's another episode where you're on as a guest. Uh, so maybe you're only going to be on the episodes where Archer gets abducted. So that's pretty much most of Enterprise, I think.
1: That's the thing, yeah. I, I have got it uh, my, in my notes here: Archer captured again,
0: yeah. um, tortured again. <laughs> it's just like... didn't didn't get a kiss this time, unlike uh, in Broken oh, Bow. Man. So there we go, yeah. Um, uh, it is great we get shran he comes in uh beats up archer a couple of times punches him in the gut and everything like this and there's one really weird scene uh, where it's it's been filmed and it's a direct um a close-up of shran's face and he, he's almost looking at the camera and he says like this is far more than a monastery in a very villainous twirling moustache kind of way and it, it seems like that scene was purposely filmed just for the trailer for the episode uh, to be played on network tv Uh, it just seemed like he he knew he was in a play it's a very very strange way that it's filmed if you ever uh, anyone watching this uh, or listening to this episode uh, goes back and watch it just it's very odd how he just seems to turn and say this is far more than a monastery um very very odd very very odd framing there um but we move on the humans are bundled into a back room. We've got all the monks uh, hanging out uh, at the back, and they they blame the humans for now antagonising the situation. They've made the situation worse. We've got a weird, creepy Andorian who seems to unnecessarily take a liking to Topol. Uh, this is something that goes throughout the whole episode, and I suppose kind of gets played up too on how they they make their escape attempt. That they play up on the fact that he's infatuated with Topol, but. It seemed a bit creepy and unnecessary to me. I don't know uh, your thoughts on this. The the I, creepy Andorian.
1: I did not like the creepy Andorian. I think his name was uh, To Rolf.
0: Mm. Uh, to
1: Rolf. <laughs> to Harris. Um, did, did he have a wobble board? Yeah, oh, he was I doing something with his. Yeah, <laughs> he was wobbling something. But yeah, no. I it was it was. I I, I mean, necessary for the plot. Um, you know, this guy comes on to the, you know, oh, you know, I'm going to Oh, what was the first thing he said? It was just so awful, such an was, awful line. I've got it,
0: uh, um, I'm going to enjoy having you. Yes. Pause. Oh, as a prisoner. A,
1: as a prisoner, yeah, that's it. Uh, I thought. Uh, oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, that's just an awful line. It's thrown in there by a five year old writer of Star Trek, for God's sake. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and it sort of. So yeah, you've got to have one who's who's going to latch onto the only woman in the room, and and um, obviously he's the one that's going to go down first in a bad way. You want you you know you really want him dead, uh, which is a bit. Um. Well, obviously, yeah. When we come to the end of the episode, the Andorians. Mm-hmm. We realise that you we're know, not necessarily the bad guys here, but th- this is the the armed forces of the Andorian um, uh, command, isn't it? I, I've forgotten mm-hmm. what they're called now. Um, but they, they, they are the, you know, the section 31 of, you know, the, the, of the Andorian, um, army. So that's worrying when they're taking prisoners and effectively raping them or going to potentially rape them. It's, it's, uh, we're supposed to like these guys at the end mm. of the episode, and that one is a little bit, it, it's harder to take.
0: Yeah. And
1: it, I, I, yeah, I can I can do the violence. I can get Archer beaten yeah. and, and what yeah. have you. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, because they believe that they are the enemy and all that. But not to start doing that to to, you know, to the women. It's just exactly. not. It doesn't make them an honourable race.
0: Mm. Like you, we've already had pinks in. We've already had uh, racist slurs. We already know that we're not supposed to completely like these guys. Although, yes, at the end of the episode, that will change in some way. Um, it just seemed the the other darker side of that. Um, the sexy trek that they were trying to bring in for Enterprise that they had to make a comment that T'Pol is gorgeous, you know, that um, Jolie Blaylock is is, is playing T'Pol yeah. and therefore have a creepy Andorian who's hitting on her. Um, it didn't seem necessary. He, he could have been another racist Andorian mm. and we still would have hated him to the point we needed him to be hateable uh, or dislikable um, uh, to then, you know, have that distraction when they want to make their escape. Um, it didn't need the pervy bit <laughs> tacked on. Yes. It just seemed unnecessary.
1: That's right. It was it was good enough that we knew that. You know the, the setup is that the Andorians are the bad guys and the Vulcans are the good guys, and we get that because we know Vulcans are good guys in the future. And um, so we get that. We've not seen these Andorians. We don't know who they are. So yes, we put the, set them up as the bad guys, but they've set them up too far. They then become unlikable. Mm-hmm. So when they do become the, sort of the good guys, you still have this issue with, with this with this particular one. He may be a one off yes um, very true. you would hope you know, that, that, that he is, but um it, it is it is concerning yeah. that they 've gone too far down the, down that road to make them unlikable that you struggle to like them after that
0: that 's very true um, we get a call uh, up to uh, Reed, who is now in charge of the enterprise, uh, sitting proudly in the bridge. And uh we get uh two consequences, so later in our uh, episode when we do all the consequences for this episode uh, about checking in every ten minutes and s- automatically scanning for alien ships as soon as you come into orbit. That kind of seems like common sense to me and why that wasn't already in the manual uh before heading out that maybe checking in every ten minutes is a good idea.
1: well no, this is the first time they've been out into space, isn't it? so this is the first time they've they've started doing these sort of things. And it's good to see that, you know, obviously uh, Malcolm's going to be on the ball. He has his job to do these things. It's good that he's picked that up straight away and really sets up every other Star Trek see- series there is because that's what they do. You know, this, this is the, you know, this is where we find out why they have, why they scan for alien races and why they scan for, for, you know, other ships or whatever uh, and then when you go down make sure i mean th- that's an obvious one you, you're right the, the the you know check-in not necessarily every 10 minutes but certainly every you know 20 minutes or half an hour an hour or whatever uh, if you're not expecting it to be uh you know wh- why would you check in after 10 minutes of going down to a very peaceful temple very you true. know it's it's you know if if it is a temple and they are in the colonnade, they're not going to want to be breaking the silence and and beaming up, uh, you know, uh, contacting uh, um, the ship to say, yeah, yeah, all's okay down here, (laughs) shh, shh, oh, sorry, all's okay down here, it's, um, yeah, so, uh, when it comes to going down to to meet somebody for the first time, or uh, if there is a security risk, you think there might be some Bad stuff going on. Just give us a you know call every half an hour, just to make sure you're okay, then that will be fine. But I do like that you see you see this, and he's, he's bringing up the uh, I'm trying to think of the word, um, you know, the standard operating procedures. He's he's bringing yeah. uh, you know, the protocols. Yeah, the protocols. That's the word. Yeah. Um, he's he's getting that straight away, and I like that. I, I like that he's he's on the ball there
0: and it, it does get mentioned later on archer says you know i didn't recruit my security officer to sit around on his ass yes. um it, it, yeah it's perfect and the idea that he's brought in a guy to point out these shortcomings it makes sense that he is making up these rules and it's uh you know something that i know does happen later in enterprise we get lots of different things even something named after him sort of um in a form of a, a certain alert that needs to be brought up automatically um but it's nice that archer is reacting to this situation to the hostage situation knowing full well that reed uh, and as trip uh, also says you know he's going to put on a very well armed landing party and that definitely fits with everything we've seen so far you know his first instinct back in fight or flight was to go for the rifles not a tepidly little pistol mm-hmm. a proper rifle when he was going on board that ship um and quite rightly so because they were you know stealing uh bits and pieces off people uh, to go and sell on a black market he had a pretty good reason to do that and maybe they should have gone with that suggestion as well um but it just seemed odd that maybe they don't have like a little clicker button on the side of the communicator just like a little you know two two clicks everything's fine every 10 minutes you'll be all right and then you don't have to call up you don't have to make a noise just mm-hmm. click click everything's okay there's a lot of to and froing uh, as the episode goes on um the, the Andorians show that they're, they're constantly being violent. They really love hitting Archer in this episode. Like, if it's not a hit to the stomach, if it's not a hit to the kidneys, like, they really go to town. And I don't know if Bakula's acting up on purpose, or, um, it was part of the scene, you know, part of his subterfuge the second time when he's being interrogated and he starts spouting all of these weird historical facts, uh, to, um, you know, try and, uh, distract them whilst he throws a little statue, uh, Through a hole in the wall to see if it's hollow. Um, I don't know whether he was playing up to it or not, but it's it's a big overreaction when he gets punched uh, that many mm. times. Um, do you think he was playing up to it, or do you think that that is Bacula just really leading in it?
1: Oh, I, th- I think he was playing up to it. I think um, you know he, he's he's wanting to take all these hits and, and they, to distract the guys, and he can take it. I mean, I, I just wanted him to turn around and say, "I can do this all day." <laughs> <laughs> it's just the way he, you know, he's just like indestructible. You know, he's getting beaten the crap beat down at him. I do like at this point when he's getting uh, beaten up. I think it's the first time. the The camera angles that they use, you see it from his point of view. Uh, mm-hmm. The you know, the fist coming in the fight. You know, I, the the camera work and the director uh, um, are, are really um, top notch in this because the, the the and there's certain scenes where there's there's cuts between the scenes. Uh, one where um, when they say about this idol, that they, that they want to put you know this this little statue into the mouth and see where it ends up. Um, uh, Tripp says I saw three lights and he puts these three little stones down and the scene melts away and comes into this idol. So instantly you get where this this light is coming from. And it's the idol that we'd already previously seen, but it puts the two together. So you, it doesn't, you it leads you nicely into it. Mm. Um, so you know I. I, I this episode was directed differently to to a lot of the other ones that we've we've seen previously. There is a reason for that as well because the, the director was um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Rox Roxana Dawson. Dawson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, it, it, and I think it it was brilliantly done by her.
0: Yeah, it's it, it it seems odd because obviously to us the audience that's it's telling us what the plan is sort of going to be. Um, but it did seem odd the first time when he notices the face that. Well, why did that stand out to him? Why did Archer make a point of looking in that direction? Um, but when you see the whole episode play out, it's like, of course, yes, he recognized there were three p- points of light, yeah, because it's coming through the, the eyes and the mouth socket of the statue. Um, it, it, it plays together so well, and we, the audience, figure out what's going on as well. I, I like the idea that they're all uh, sleeping together in that little area. Um, later on, it, it put me in mind of like the, the great escape, all the war movies, you know, where they're, they're huddling together and they're hiding the bit of equipment under the pillow and, and Tripp's like fiddling around with this old transmitter that they had hidden in the catacombs. And there's a secret entrance to this catacomb. Uh, and Tripp points out that you seem to have a flair for the dramatic. Um, again, very odd for Vulcans, you know, if, if they're not superstitious that they do have this dramatic flair, uh, and that they like their secret, passageways and things like this um, any thoughts on the secret passageway yeah, yeah it
1: was a bit uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark wasn't it it was like you know, <laughs> I was waiting for the ball to follow them down it's uh, yeah I, I don't know why they well uh, why would you have these catacombs and sort of random sort of uh, things down the, down this corridor as well so, you know, the Skeleton almost looked like skeletons but they, they still had a bit of meat on the face it was like they weren't quite fully decomposed Obviously, statues to them, and he's "Oh yes, that's uh, such and such a person who was, you know, the first person to find this uh, this um, temple or whatever." And then there's another one after that, and another one after that. You think, really, wouldn't they be put in a in a more reverential sort of place here, you know, with uh, a pride of place rather than just sort of down this
0: random? Although that, for me, actually kind of made a lot of sense because if they're Vulcans, they wouldn't see the point in a burial ceremony, perhaps. Um, if every, if everything they do is about concentrating the mind and, you know, purging emotions and, it, you know, ritual and everything like that, I suppose, plays into that, that burial would be seen as, well, why, why treat the body, you know, uh, with any kind of reverence? Because it's not to be praised. What he did was to be praised, but what his body is isn't so they just leave it standing on a wall uh, you know they prop it up it's got rigor mortis it's it's stuck up against the wall um, you know oh there he is he's the guy who founded us uh, there you go that's fine uh, he can be eaten by the various bugs or whatever in these tunnels um, so I suppose you know there wouldn't be a special burial ceremony I guess in, in Vulcan culture and as far as I know there isn't ever an allusion to what a Vulcan funeral should be we've seen funerals but they've always been Starfleet funerals. Um, So I I guess it kind of made sense to me on that that regard. Fair enough, yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a bit of back and forth between Archer and T'Pol when she's talking about the nasal... uh, uh, a numbing agent being uh, wearing off, and she doesn't want to share the blanket with Archer because uh, the cold is preferable. Um, but there's also a talk about her loyalties, and that Archer is questioning her loyalty.
1: It was interesting, yeah. I, I uh, he questioned her her loyalty, and the reaction that came back from her was really strong. You know, saying I, I have never you know, let this crew down. You know, I, I'm I'm totally with you, and all this type of thing. It was, but it was. It really brought out a lot of emotion from her, which is strange for a Vulcan. Um, but you could see that she was genuinely annoyed that she'd been asked this question, how dare you yeah, question my loyalty. Um, uh, uh, even though there is st- there is still some question of it at the end of the episode is, uh, as to, you know, are you really with us or are you going to defend the, the actions of your fellow uh, people? Uh, when they've obviously done something wrong. So it's, you know, and she struggles a little bit with it, but she obviously does the right thing. But it, yeah, the, the reaction that she gave from that question was very strong.
0: Mm. I mean, So, so that
1: you, you, it left you with no doubt that she was with you.
0: Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, And it's an understandable reaction from her. Um, you know, even, you know, even if she wasn't human, if she, you know, she is a Vulcan. Um, so it's understandable that she would have, um, uh, cause to sort of you know call him out on it you know you're the one who's always bullying me in the workplace you know would be a great way of responding to it um you know you've done all these th- horrible things to me for the past six weeks um you know uh, and you dare question me um but yeah it's, it's it is understandable and given that they're in this vulcan setting and that yet again Archer, Trip and the rest of the humans involved are ignoring her initial briefing of being respectful and playing along with things. um, That, uh, you know, she would she would finally be hitting back on it, that she would actually have something to say about it. This is where it sort of delves into the action side. Now we've we've established that Andorians don't have transporters. So there's another consequence for our episode where the humans are going to use the transporter to beam an away team in. Uh, they're going to set explosive charges Uh, there's this action scene where they're going to use the statue now to distract shran and the andorians in the main chamber uh, and then um, fight their way out they're gonna they're gonna blast and get all the pew pews and and finally see some action Um, on the whole action sequence leading right up to the end of the episode um, thoughts on how it was staged did it feel stilted like the fight scene when we were talking in uh, first flight did you think it flowed well did the plan make sense
1: yeah i thought it did i thought the um, the, the plan made perfect sense it, um, the the fight sequences were really good um, i love the, uh, the the idea of coming in behind the idol and and, and blowing a hole you know, the, the, the hole through there and they could have just like shot through the eye holes, yeah <laughs> rather than blowing the whole thing out first and then doing it um but no it, it did I think it did make sense to me um um yeah it's it's a good uh, a good Malcolm uh, episode, I think in that respect he comes down knowing exactly what he's going to do, he's got all the information he needs he's um, yeah you know, it's, it's a it's a good um special forces type uh, approach
0: mm-hmm.
1: comes in just at the nick of time every time, yeah it's good.
0: It, you know, it did make me think that if Reed was in Die Hard, it would have ended a lot sooner. Um, he would have been over quickly. You know, he would have beamed in, got the detonators out. It all, all fine. Um, he'd seem to execute it really well. I really liked that they beamed down with a little backpack uh, with the phase pistols, but didn't give them the phase pistols. So that if the Andorians did come in, they, you know, if they search them, they're going to take the phase pistols away and give them more weapons. Um, that they went off, did their little jaunt, then came back and then gave them the phase fist- pistols after, once they've taken out more of the Andorians. And so it was like the two stage approach that, um, you know, you think, oh, Yo, just arm them and firefight your way out. No, 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 no. Hide the phase pistols, let them come in, distract them, all this sort of thing. It was, it, it step by step. It made perfect sense as we were going along um i do like the the allusion to the the transporter uh just before that team actually does point uh beam down um that they've all heard the stories about the transporter and it's still this fear of using this technology uh, and that reed even though he's saying yeah we've all heard the stories get on on board the transporter and that he ends the scene with like before we change our minds <laughs> so even he's like convincing himself let alone the the nervous guy who's carrying the backpack one weird thing about the scene though was why is Hoshi using the controls to beam them down? There isn't a transporter chief. Any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, you've got your your chief linguist doing the transporter duties. What's that about?
0: Very, very strange uh you think that you know uh, she's the most fearful person so maybe she's the most cautious she will take her time uh but it just seemed a bit odd that why is she doing that you know, shouldn't there be at least one engineer in trip's team who kind of knows how to use the transporter a bit more than everybody else um even if you know the transporter chief role hasn't been invented and maybe this episode establishes it uh that that, uh, that would be a nice little touch for this episode but it just seemed odd why hoshi we, again, we've got the fight, phase of fight, it fights all the way down through the catacombs, we get to the bottom and we see a vault, we see a door in this little chamber with all of the um uh, trinkets and all of the relics that they've got there that doesn't seem to match. And uh, Archer does a little dive, pushes a button, one button to open a super secret hideaway, no one's supposed to find this vault door, one button, no keypad, no security measures... Nothing like that. One button opens this door and they stop firing only to find out that uh, the suspicions of the Andorians, the reason they've been here the whole time to find some secret subspace array that the Vulcan uh, monks have said doesn't exist, it does exist and the Vulcans have lied. Any thoughts on the ending of this episode? Yeah,
1: it was a bit of a, a surprise to me when they uh, they got down there, and you, you knew something that wasn't quite right because um, obviously the the Vulcan uh, the the, uh, the Vulcan comes goes down with them and says, you know, I'll just make make sure that you know our, you know, our best interests are kept and all this stuff and then off he goes down there with a with a weapon just to make sure. And you think, well, hmm, that's that's a bit odd. You know, I mean, you know, maybe there is something down there, and and. Um, when they do find it, you think, oh, well, that's just blowing everything from, you thought these Vulc- Vulcans were good, honorable people and, you know, they're, they're the good guys. We know them from, you know, from the future history. Um, what's going on here? And then suddenly they, they've lied about this all the time. They've been spying on the Andorians and you know, repressing these people, maybe. Mm. Um, yeah, I was, it was quite a shock, quite a shock. Mm. So, um, it was a surprise when I
0: saw it. Yeah, it it did make me think of some of the things we were saying back in Broken Bow. You know, what right did the Vulcans have to hold back humanity? And here they are spying on another um, potential adversary. Um, uh, as uh, T'Pol says it in the episode, they're a highly suspicious race um, and they're very paranoid. Um, it did make me think that are the Vulcans sort of cherry-picking their favourite races, the ones that they seem to have a hold over, like the humans, but they're actively sort of uh, trying to um, if not conquer but just um, outsmart all the more dangerous races uh, perhaps the Klingons as well and you know the reason they're holding back humanity is that they don't want them to supersede the Vulcans they're, they're worried that the humans might become barbaric um, spacefaring Andorians and that they're holding them back to stop them having a rivalry with the Vulcans uh, just because of this ending and it was very weird. I remember watching it the very first time that the Vulcans not only lied, because that goes against many things we've heard before, that they are doing something um that violates a treaty that they signed, that they went actively against orders, that this wasn't a rogue Vulcan monastery, this wasn't... um uh, one person who had a very strange plan, as we've seen in Star Trek, you know, a one off villain who doesn't represent the government at large. This was a government sponsored uh, act of aggression against the Andorians, and it's something we hadn't seen before. And the sort of not happy, happy ending, you know, everything was resolved. Uh, the humans got to go back to the Enterprise, you know, the Vulcan Monastery is still there, it wasn't blown up. The Andorians get to go home as well. Um, but it's an unresolved ending, and it was fun to see that. It was something new that we hadn't seen before.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's uh, it, it was a, a part of the uh, you know a, a side of the Vulcans we hadn't seen, and it really I thought it gave them a lot more depth than we mm. or, you know we, we don't we we only really see one side of them, and then suddenly this gave them a lot more uh, back history, mm. um, and a, a lot uh, and a, more depth to the characters and and you know uh, more depth to the species
0: and uh there is a weird thing though when looking at it uh we were speaking about direction the cgi of the vulcans walking along the little railings and things and using all the the tech inside this array and they don't seem to react to the door opening to (laughs) four andorians and you know um you know to hitch the the vulcan the vulcan is in there you know he doesn't even like go oh who are these um there's there's no reaction whatsoever it it's another element of other episodes we've seen so far in enterprise already where the cgi the the visual imagery and the special effects don't seem to marry up to what's going on in the episode um but it it just it made me chuckle that there's these these guys who are like oh yes yeah, four endorians Yeah, the other guys were spying on oh yes. oh sorry um nothing to see here to pay no attention to the man behind the curtain
1: remember we've got to look out for, for Andorians. you must look out for Andorians, service <laughs> for over there
0: they've been looking at andorians all month and they're just seeing andorians everywhere it's like they, they, they don't even trust themselves anymore uh, but that does bring us to the end of this episode and perhaps we'll see a resolution in a future episode to come or two um but that it locates our, our time uh, at no point is there a mention of a date or anything like that so we still don't know how many uh, weeks have passed since the previous episode, maybe we'll find out next week, uh, but we move on from location to consequences now we've had several that we've mentioned throughout this episode, are there any consequences you can think of from this episode that will carry on for all of Enterprise or the rest of Star Trek?
1: Well the, the biggest one is um, the well, one of the very last uh, words that Shran says to Archer when he says, uh, obviously he realises that Archer has helped him uh, he's exposed these people uh, and he's quite happily giving over all the information they have on it uh, to him and he turns around and says we are in your debt begrudgingly, but um, you re- you realise then that this guy isn't all bad, He's he's got a bit of honour about him, he knows that he's been helped out here and maybe these guys aren't as bad as he's you know, they've beaten the crap out of him mm. Um so, yeah, it does have a consequence. We now have Andorians as an ally.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's, it's a, a sort of set in stone way that a captain can then bring about peaceful resolution to a situation is that he acts in the honorable way that everyone can see. He gives over or orders to Paul to give over all of the, the imaging scans uh, of this area, this place where these Vulcans seem nonplussed about seeing uh, four Andorians turn up. Um, he, he is acting in such a way that invokes a trust instantly with Shran. Not necessarily all the Vulcans in his team, because we've still got creepy uh, creepy Andorian out there. Uh, but, um, uh, you know, he is giving over this sense of trust over to Shran. And he reacts to it. And as our antenna shows, it's sort of bowed down. When he talks to him, it's almost like a respectful sort of bow for the antenna. And it was just a really nice touch uh, to that. So, yes, uh, I think that is our biggest consequence, isn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: that's right. So, that's consequences. Alterations. Uh, anything you would have liked to have seen done differently with the episode? Uh, expansions on it? Something you might want to see more of?
1: Um, no, I think I got uh, this uh, I mean, I'd like to see less of the creepy Andorian. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I um, I got out of it what I wanted, and that was we got a new a new ally, a new species that we we can now develop and, and use and and you know use in the future and um, something other than the Klingons and the Romulans and the Vulcans that we've already got. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I I like this episode for that, and I I wouldn't really want to change much more of it. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, in terms of the episode itself, uh, yeah, there's nothing I can see that I'd want it. If you if you played out the whole hostage situation too long it could get boring it could get stale very quickly it's something that we have kind of seen in star trek before so you don't want to play those sort of notes again and you know the explosive way that reed deals with the situation isn't something that we would have seen Worf do um not necessarily odo or any other security chief maybe maybe uh Tuvok, uh, he, he seemed to have some uh, ways of dealing with things, but Reed's explosive solution is something we hadn't seen before. Um, so the episode itself, I don't see anything I would want to change. The only thing I would like to see is a direct fallout to what has just happened with Archer giving over this intelligence to the Andorians that not necessarily a scene at the end of this episode, but another episode after this one that is the direct impact to what have you just done you know, this is sending shockwaves throughout the Balkan uh, people. Looking ahead into the next episode uh, in Breaking Ice, there's there was the possibility they could have done that. It would have played into that future episode, but they didn't quite do it, as they still had that mindset of you know one and done episodes, not necessarily overarching arcs. They knew they were going to come back to this problem uh, of Pajem, uh, but. There was never an immediate reaction in the next episode, which I kind of wanted to see. Uh, So I think that's the only thing I would want expanded from this episode is what happened next politically between Vulcans, humans and Andorians. Um, Even if it just meant that everyone had to come back to the table and renegotiate um, their peace accords or whatever. And it's the start of the Federation in that that's the very first um uh, time that humans are the brokers, they're the people, they're the, the middle ground that try and bring these races together, as as the, the hint that maybe there's something that they could do together, but o- overall yeah, the episode works perfectly well for me as well. After alterations comes R for recommendations, and two sta- strands to this as always, do we recommend this episode to Star Trek fans? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> Yeah it it it's a basis it's, it's yeah. the first andorians it's everything yeah, isn't it yeah. Right, yeah everything exactly we've just right. said um do we recommend to non star trek fans i think we could this
1: stands up as a nice little science fiction episode all by itself it you don't need to know anything about the vulcans or the andorians uh it's just two races we start off with the bad guys becoming the good guys which is pretty much star trek all the way through anyway um and the the you know, the good guys turn out to be the bad guys so Um, I think it works as a a standalone episode you could show anybody and say you don't need to know the Andorians you don't need to know the Vulcans you don't need to know uh, the humans interaction with these these, uh, two it's all uh, laid out on the page so yeah I think you could
0: Hmm. yeah it's it's the first time we meet the Andorians it's not like oh you had to watch two episodes ago Mm -hmm. to kind of know who this guy is and they're coming together and all this sort of thing everything is explained everything is shown to you at the beginning you know, uh, these Vulcan style charts don't quite work, although we've seen that there's this monastery, isn't it great if we can go and see them? Everything plays together, it all links in together we've seen you know how Archer came up with the idea of using the statue and then he relayed relayed that to Reed and then he took it on, used the explosives, you know, all these tactical things, things you might have seen in other non-sci-fi shows about a hostage situation, it all kinds of makes sense, and it isn't resolved at the end lots of people who aren't Star Trek fans always tell me well I don't want to watch it because it's it's always happy endings it's always over and they always get a peaceful solution at the end well no they didn't this episode is against that type it is an unhappy resolution um, something that you will come back to later it doesn't necessarily all have to be wrapped up in a pretty bow this episode is one of those episodes so yeah I completely agree yes we would recommend to non-Star Trek fans absolutely excellent well that's it um, that's the uh, end of the episode uh, Paul uh, do you want to plug your wares what uh, where can people find you where can the listeners find you
1: you can find me on the Cosmic Pizza podcast along with uh, our very own uh, Dan Hitch and also Sean Vanderloo who uh, between the three of us we come up with some madcap ideas of we talk about anything and everything um, our, our latest one will be um, alternative superheroes which is going to be a bit of a laugh and um, Uh, join us, listen to it, and and, uh, find out why it's going to be an oddball episode. But, uh, yeah, we've done lots of stuff on there. Um, We also have plans for the future of uh, another podcast that we might put together uh, based on another science fiction TV show uh, that should come out around about August. So uh, keep an eye out for that as well.
0: Yes, yeah, secret projects are underway. Yeah. Uh like uh like Pegem and its subspace array, it's a secret project. <laughs> um well yes, thank you again, Paul, for being my guest uh this week. Uh and that all uh that uh only leaves me with the last part of our criteria and that is S for setup. Uh join me next time for season three, episode nine of this podcast as we go to season one, episode seven of Enterprise Breaking the Ice. Um, Thank you very much for listening, and I'll see you in the next time stream. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please remember to like, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to it. If you would like to be a guest in the future, or give feedback, you can contact me by either searching for the Temporal Trek Podcast Facebook page, or find me on Twitter at rider underscore Coattail. Also search the Temporal Trek Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at Daniel underscore Hitch underscore writer. All the timestamps for the show can be found at ridingcoattails.simplesite.com. The scripted elements of the show are a work of pure fan fiction, and any views and opinions expressed in the episode discussions are my own or that of the guest. They do not reflect the rights holders of Star Trek. Any Star Trek sound effects or music are used under the terms of fair use and are not my own work. The intro music, Birthright by Audio Binger, is royalty-free from the Free Music Archive. Check out their work and others at freemusicarchive.com. The Temple Trek is a free podcast with no Patreon or sponsorship. However, if you would like to support the show, you can find my books by searching Daniel Peter Hitch on Amazon. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next time stream.